Hello, and welcome to You Don't Know Lit, a weekly podcast, or as we call it, strongly podcast, where we talk about two books. Hold on. I wrote, <laughs> I, wrote, I wrote an introduction. AI wrote an introduction for me. You're listening yes. to You Don't Know Lit, the podcast where we bring you the world of literature through the lens of your favorite <laughs> high school English teachers, it's Ian and Joe. My name is Joe Holshue. I'm a high school English teacher. And Nick, if you are looking for a book about AI, guys, it was really hard to find a book about AI that wasn't incredibly concerning this week or incredibly oh, boring. Okay. Those Fun. are the two types of books. Some were very concerning. Up, Joe. Some were very boring. I found one that was only a little concerning and not so boring. Um, I, I brought a short story, a novella this week uh, by a guy named Ted Chang, a big oh, deal in the classic. science fiction community. And he wrote a book called The Life Cycle of Software Objects. I thought it was really sure cool. It's not really it, boring. It's, it's a di- <laughs> catchy. He wrote a really good, like nonfiction think piece about chat GPT shortly after the everybody just turned it off. Everybody is. <laughs> and he changed. It's everything. really interesting. It, it, People it, hate it, it, it informed. It informed how I think about what what uh, AI does. He's he he seems to be like the go to guy for certain publications right now as like, hey, we need a guy who thinks philosophically about software yeah. or philosophically about technology. Yeah. What's yeah. Ted Chang doing right now? And he's like, yeah. not much. I only publish like one short story every three years. <laughs> Hello, Nick. Howdy, Joe. Greetings, Litheads. Today, you can call me Al because our theme today is Al. I looked on the theme document and it said Al. It's good. So yeah. is that right? That's good. Great. You can also call me Dr. Ian DeYoung. I'm a high school English teacher. I brought this week Kazuo Ishiguro's novel. Sorry, Sir Kazuo Ishiguro's novel, Clara and the Sun. It's about an AI robot. May your earlobes turn into assholes and shit on your shoulders. Hey, the plot doesn't fucking matter at all. This is what I think it's about. If you look closely (laughs) enough, every author was at some point a racist. Audiobooks don't count, right? All art is quite useless. (laughs) Who who told you that? Fun fact, that is how Joe laughs. (laughs) (laughs) I love the fact that... Both of us humanities teachers, both of us humanities teachers, took this opportunity to not read nonfiction, but in fact to read fiction. I I, I started two separate nonfiction books for this week. Um, I started reading the book called Super Intelligence. I forget who writes it. It's got an owl on the cover. And then I started reading the book called Life 3.0. And I got a little ways into both of them. And they both made me made my eyes want to fall out of my head. Right? Yeah. They, were, they were a little... <clears throat> They're they're accessible, but they're just like a little too in the weeds, a little too technical. Like this is how AI works, and I was like, I don't care how AI works. I want to know about ramifications. I want ramifications. When I when I started looking at choosing books this week, I was uh, I wanted to read some of them. You know, the, the tech bros are always screeching about the singularity, and so I wanted to read one of them books. But uh, well, I don't know because I didn't read one of them books. They're all super long and they also they also seem like the kinds of things which become immediately dated. So I was looking at like the history of these kinds of books, the history of futurism, which says like 
in the future, we're all going all going to have robot guns in our arms or something, something like that. And the idea is flying robot guns. That's the some, future yeah, I'm exactly. waiting for. Lasers. And so the idea is someone looks around at, the, around at the world and says, this is where I believe we're headed. The problem is when it's presented as nonfiction, it, it, it obsolesces very quickly. These kinds of things don't last. And they seem extremely dated because they're talking about you know, the transformative power of CD-ROMs, CDs-ROM, <laughs> and then we, 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 we supersede them and then it's, it's out of date. I think it's interesting that both of us brought these fake fiction lie books because maybe it, the idea is that fiction can help us understand current or future truths in ways that nonfiction can't quite. I think that's true. Joe, your author wrote Arrival. Yeah, my author wrote Arrival. He actually wrote a short story that Arrival is based on. But yeah, yeah. he's... um. It, my author's pretty interesting this week. He hasn't published a ton. I mean, he's been publishing since the early 90s, and I think he's published like 17 short stories and a novella in that time. Um, no big novels. A couple of things, he's pulled a couple of the a couple of short story collections together. But with that relatively limited uh, output, he's he's a big deal. Like he's, yeah. he's royalty in the science fiction community. So, or, I mean, Arrival's like, one of the best sci-fi movies of our life. You know, yeah, like in the last... Can't see this, but Nick is doing the arrival hands. Yeah. Arrival hands? What are arrival yeah, it's hands? Like, it's, like, it's like, you know, they, they put their tendrils on the glass and like you put your... Is that you like put jazz hand. hands? It's like mm-hmm. jazz hands, but it's more alien. More, more fun, um, yeah. This is, this, this guy is, uh, Ted Chang is really interesting because uh, as you say, he hasn't produced much, but everything he produces, you can kind of see the learning and the intellect as you yeah. read it. So when you read Ted Chang, like you can tell he's put a ton of work and thought and like content knowledge. Um, The 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 novella that um, uh, Arrival is based on, I think it's called A Brief History of You or something like that. Yeah, that sounds Um, good. This is like he goes deep into um, into linguistics, and you can tell like he got up to speed on some like pretty high powered linguistics stuff in order to understand how he can make this hard science fiction alien linguistics story. So good stuff. Thank you, Ted Chang, for being who you are. Thank you, Ted. Thank you, Ted Chang. Well, welcome, Leadheads, to You Don't Know Leto Weekly, as we call it Strongly Podcast, where every week we pick a theme. And two high school English teachers, Ian and Joe, bring book recommendations. And just to upset one of them, we pick a winner. Joe on that stanky, stanky losing streak. Bit of a slide. <laughs> Bit of a slide. Crawl his way out one Ted Chang book at a time. <laughs> That's a great. It's a great strategy for for getting back on. <laughs> Bringing good books. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> a bold strategy. We'll see if it pans out. Gentlemen, we have some rules. Rule number one: only unavoidable spoilers. Rule number two: omit needless words. Joe. Omit needless words. Joe. Thank you for bringing a short story. Rule number three, only winning matters, as Joe knows. A lot of Joe in these rules. Yeah. yeah. How do you feel about well, that, Joe? Uh, it's not the first time in my life. Uh, the rules have been made on my behalf pretty much <laughs> as long as I've been involved in any institutions. Ooh, hardcore. Joe, do you want to take 30 seconds and tell me what your book is about? 
All right, Nick. Science fiction is filled with artificial beings who spring forth fully formed like Athena out of the head of Zeus. Wow. But Ted Chang doesn't believe that <laughs> consciousness actually works that way. He says it takes at least 20 years of steady effort to produce a useful person, and he sees no reason that technology or teaching an artificial being would get, go any faster. He wanted to write a short story about what might happen during those 20 years, and the result was the lifestyle of software objects. It won a Hugo Award, and it deals with everything from consciousness to capitalism. Yeah, of course it did. This guy, he wins a Hugo Award. He's got like a 50% success rate on Hugo Awards. I've brought, I've brought story, I brought story of your life, the arrival book to this podcast. Yeah, as soon as you said that, I'm like, ah, he's about to say we already talked about it. The Chang, not the story, but the um, Chang turned down a Hugo Award. He turned down a Hugo Award. I love that. What a boss move to say, hey, guys, listen, I recognize you think this is good, but I know better than you. And I tell you, this is not that good. It's amazing. Yeah. In 2003, um, he was nominated for a Hugo Award and he got he got the. he got the uh, the nomination and he's like, yeah, it, I I can do better. My publisher wow. rushed this. I I don't want. He turned it down because he didn't feel the work was as a, 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 a award winning. I feel like if. OK, the, the way he phrased that, that rejection sounded a little bit like he was trying to diss the publisher for rushing yeah. him. And so what a great way to show your publisher you have power is by saying, <laughs> okay, chump, you rush me. I'll turn down my Hugo Awards. See, I'm not just your cash really cow. Good. Ian, yes. Ian, tell me, me everything about your book. Clara is an artificial friend, an advanced cyborg who's designed to be a companion for a teenager. Eventually, she is chosen by Josie, a mostly kind girl with a mysterious illness. We learn more about the futuristic world as Clara does, seeing injustice, humanity, and progress through her eyes, and feeling along with her as she experiences love and loss for the first time. This is a sweet, remote book. Unlike any I'd ever read, I brought Sir Kazuo Ishiguro's Clara and the Sun. Is this just like, why do these humans fight so much? Like, is this... No, she's she's beyond the cold, dead eyes of an AI. No, that's the thing. It's not cold and dead. It's not. This is not about like I I say remote because I'll talk about this during my time, but she is different. But she's also she's programmed by humans. And so when people fight, she sees them fighting and she understands that fighting is a thing that happens. But she can't really she can't really. She's never going to get it, is she? Empathize. It's hard. Well, it's hard. You Things are read the book to find out. Joe, you go first. <laughs> when we talk about artificial intelligence, um, we we get to apocalypse pretty quickly, or at least you know, like human apocalypse pretty quickly. Got to make room. You got to make room. There's this idea in artificial intelligence called the alignment problem. Are you familiar with this? Definitely not. Okay. This is sometimes you hear it called like the paperclip example. And the idea is still like, doesn't help. Yeah. Well, is this like Clippy? It's is this kind like of Operation like Clippy, Paperclip from if, the Cold War. 
it's it's kind of like Clippy. Imagine that you had imagine that you programmed an AI and you said, okay. I, 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 that, I'm sorry. I'm going to need some time to imagine that. <laughs> that's going to take a I'll while. Give you time. We time. don't. Joe, what is AI? Okay, I'm there. I imagined <laughs> okay, it. Okay, It feels terrible. Excellent. I okay, feel stupid. You have programmed an AI to what have create I done? paper clips, right? Like you, this AI's job is to make paper clips. That AI then does everything that it possibly can to like create paper clips more quickly, to get metal more efficiently, to, to market paper clips, to, to whatever the case is, right? Maximize its synergy. To the exclusion of everything else, right? Because its job is to create paper clips, it suddenly realizes that, hey, if I ever go away, I can't create paper clips anymore. Right. It's going to, so I'm going to like. So it kills you. <laughs> Gotta take kill. I love that that's always the first thing. Like, well, if we make an AI, it's going to start killing us. Like immediately, right? Like <laughs> the move from got to make paper clips to got to murder everyone. <laughs> these, these humans are getting in the way of my paperclip production. Boy, all these cars that people are making, that, that sweet, sweet metal could yeah. be paper Like clips. we won't be able to, like we've made this brilliant AI, but we won't be able to put in a parameter that says don't hurt anybody. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the idea at the core of so, so, so much science fiction and so many stories about about artificial intelligence this story is not that and it is not that in a in a refreshing way hey joe thank you so much for going in depth on what my story is not (laughs) tell us more about what your story isn't joe (laughs) okay i i'm gonna need more time um (laughs) imagine a story (laughs) imagine you program an ai to believe that it's a cabbage this story is not that (laughs) Well, you'd be wrong. That's not what this is about. Joe, what is your book about? In this story, the very first AIs that humans create are created um, under the capitalist system. Designed as... No, go fit... Please, dear God, tell me that first five minutes wasn't just for absolutely nothing. What was your point? Well, I think it's important context. You didn't know what the alignment problem was. Nick, what he's trying to do is forestall your questions. (laughs) He was trying to forestall the questions, the stupid questions of like, so when does it try and kill you? He's saying, no, it doesn't try and kill you. Anyway, Joe, we are clear on one central idea. There are no paper clips in your story. Mm-hmm. And it's nope, not no trying to kill you. Record. It is not trying to kill you. Instead, my AI, do you guys remember Tamagotchis or Neopets? Are you the right age to experience this fad? You're younger than Vaguely. I am. Yeah. yeah, so Tamagotchis were these things that you carried in your pocket. They were um, things that you had to take care of. They were small, digital, almost like a stopwatch they looked like. Um, they were small, digital animals, and you had to like feed them and take care of them and play with them, and they would give you feedback in the form of happiness. This story kind of starts out by saying, hey, what if Tamagotchis were actually intelligent? Like, what if you could log into your, um, your, your software? What if you could, like, throw on your headset, you know, your Apple Vision Pro, and log into your software, and you could actually, like, see and experience these things? Um, and these things that are meant to be pets, right? They have a rudimentary intelligence. Um, they are human-ish in form. They're kind of like cartoony humans. Um, Like a Simpson character. Well, some take the form of like robots. Some take the form of like um, panda bears. So they're they're anthropomorphized. They're anthropomorphized. Okay, like a Futurama character. And they have a rudimentary intelligence. When the company releases these to the general public, um, they have the intelligence of maybe a toddler, right? 
as you keep your digiant, is what this thing is called, as you keep your digiant, it learns, but it only learns at the rate that an actual human child would nice, learn. Nice, nice. So, this is the clone. This is the clone issue. It's like if you want to clone an army, guess what? You've still got to wait twenty years for them to get into fight, like the, to be old enough to fight. Hundred percent. So this story um, follows a couple of characters. Um, Anna is our main character. She works for the software company that does this. She's recruited it to train the very earliest generations of these avatars, of these digients that were going to be released for public uh, consumption. Um, I'm going to eat them. Over the... Nom, 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 nom. <laughs> Over the course of this of this novel, over the course of this novella, she grows very, very close to her digiant named Jax. She follows Jax, or the story follows the relationship between Anna and Jax, is it goes from like, he is my toddler, to he is kind of like having a young boy in this house, to he's like growing and like starting to ask himself questions about autonomy and consciousness oh. and human rights and Uh-oh. what it's like being outside of this software system etc cetera, etc cetera. is this about ai or is this about being a parent I, it, well it's a little about both what it is is about is it's about i think part of it is about we have created something that is intelligent that we would identify as humanly intelligent what does the emotional relationship look like between us and this thing? That's one prong of this. And there is definitely like a, a strong parenting vibe throughout this whole thing. The other part of it, though, is we have created something that is intelligent. What is our responsibility to this thing? So, for example, in this book, like pretty early on in this in this novella, um, the company that creates these AIs, at first, they're a huge hit. They sell them to a million people. They have like a monetization scheme through like um, through like what you feed them, etc. But eventually in this novella, the company that creates them goes bankrupt. And there becomes this big question of, oh, we have all these like entities, these conscious entities out there. What happens to these things if the company that owns them goes bankrupt or the company that uh-huh. created them goes Good. bankrupt? It's going to push out those software updates. <laughs> well, I mean, that's that's it's like, a legitimate question. Yeah. That's like that's a silly like question, Nick. But that is a question that like actually is addressed in this book. It's a short story. Yeah, um, it's about 150 pages. Yeah, it's, I oh, have a question I'm about not that. Short at all. He, mm-hmm. Everyone says, oh, Ted Chang doesn't write any novels. He writes only short stories and novellas. But Story of Your Life is like 95 pages, and, and this sounds like it's pretty thorough. Does he Is he kind of working on something like really like the, the resurrection of the novella? Too long to be a short story, but not like long enough to be a novel? This this seems like a beautiful, like the, the miniseries, the limited series. It's it's not going to put, set you back, you know, multiple hours every year, but it's also longer than just one, one hour, two hours. God, I think the short story is just the perfect form for stuff like this. So I, I read this as part oh, this of was a, too long. This is too long. Well, I read oh. this as part of a collection. Um, he, he collected his short stories into two different books. Um, both of them had taken uh, both of them have taken titles based on one of those short stories. So this short story exists in a book called Exhalation, I want to say Exhalation. And the first short story, um, the first collection is called The Story of Your Life, uh, taken after the the short story that became a rival. 
Do you know how sometimes when you watch, for example, have you guys seen Black Mirror? Yeah. Nick, I assume Wait, you've seen you Black haven't, Mirror. Nicholas? I haven't, but everybody else has. So you can just continue you on get the idea. <laughs> okay. When you watch something like Black Mirror, I, I think it's almost impossible to binge Black Mirror because I agree. each yes. episode is so heavy and so I, I, like intellectually taxing, emotionally taxing that when you get to the end of it, you just need to like take a breath. Yeah, you, you got to sit with it. You have to yeah. sit with it. You have to pause. When I was reading this short story collection, so not just the, the life cycle of software objects, but the stories around it in this collection of which I read a half dozen of them. I found myself when I would get to the end of a short story, absolutely unable to move on to the next one for for quite a while. Right. Like moving on to the next one when you finished felt so it felt like kind of a betrayal or something like it felt like I wasn't doing it like the short story justice because it is so heady and asks interesting philosophical questions in a way that I haven't heard in a long time, like made me think in a way that I haven't thought in years or maybe never before. I don't, I'm not understanding. What do you mean short stories? So this is this chaptered. No, I'm talking about this short story, the life cycle of software objects taking place inside of a short story collection, which is how Ted Chang has published both of these things. Right? So this short story is the third short story or the third thing in this book. Is it a good story, Joe? Or is it like, oh, like you you realize 30 pages in, we're going to just watch this thing grow up. And it's just like a matter of what does it discover? Yeah. Does it discover is things this, like racism? Oh, no, it does. This oh, no. story. Yeah, this can story, you tell us about the book, Joe? It's like Tamagotchis, Nick. <laughs> There's all these digits, right? Like these little software objects. They're popular at first. The company goes out of business that creates them. And there's all these like Tamagotchi refugees living out in the world, living out in the software world. It's okay because they have owners and people that have like taken care of them. But as they get less exciting and as the support for these things like becomes more and more non-existent, people start just like deleting or or, uh, I'm sorry, suspending these things. Which isn't a big deal for software, but again, these are like sentient beings that they're suspended. Okay, so somebody's coming to delete her children. Yeah, somebody is coming to delete her children. Yeah. A ton of this conflict in this book comes from the shifting landscape of software systems inside of this world. Right. So at first the company goes under. Yeah. (laughs) At first the company goes under and then they have to figure out where these things are going to live. And then like hackers invade the world that they live in and they start selling like torture devices for these things. And And the owners are like, oh, my God, that's insane. I want to protect these even further. We're going on a private server. But then when they go on a private server, all of the friends that their Tamagotchis, that their Digiants used to play with, they can't play with anymore because they aren't on the same server. And eventually there's just a software fracturing and their world that they all live in is just going to go away unless they can get it ported over to the new world. And they have to figure out a way to pay for an engineer to write that port. 
That's Joe. like the stuff in my book. Is this book, is this story primarily told through the eyes of or with a focus on sort of a human human protagonists or is it more like here's jack jacks here's jacks here's jack's take like he jack's do we do we see this stuff happening as jack's experiences it or as his no, this story is entirely through the eyes of anna and then another another human called derek these are the humans that love these digits these are the humans okay. who have adopted who okay. have raised these digits and these are like the enthusiasts these are the ones that have sticked with the digits like through thick and through thin um you know to the point where there's only you know a few dozen digits left in in existence um these are the ones that are sticking with them so that's the stuff nick the questions that this book asks, though, are really the interesting piece of this, right? And I think, you know, you ask, is this a good book? Is this, is this a book that's like, uh, is this a good story? I think this story primarily serves as a vehicle to ask tough questions. It asks questions about, like, love. You know, like, is the relationship that these Digians have with their humans and the humans have with these Digians, is it real, actual love right like what what's going on here it asks question, uh, questions about like evil and pain and loss it asks questions about like dignity and tolerance right and when you see it through the eyes of this you know this woman anna who loves this artificial intelligence like a child it really gives these questions a poignancy it really makes you consider what is the nature of consciousness? And if I think, for example, I have certain rights, right? Inalienable rights for just by virtue of being alive, by virtue of being a human being, where do those rights actually come from? And at what level do those rights not exist? Like, does my dog have inalienable rights? Right? Like, probably not. Arr. Of course not. <laughs> so, but oh, like, sorry, Charlie. Yeah. Sorry, Charlie. <laughs> sorry, Otis. Brutal. Is this unique? This seems like this is like every AI. This is like every artificial intelligence story. Right? I've never seen a story like this. <laughs> the the thing that it reminded me most of is um when I was a kid and I would watch Star Trek, they have like various AIs on Star Trek, right? Like they have um, data. Uh, they have data, data on data. Star Trek. Well, data on Star Trek: The Next Generation. Um, they have on Star Trek Voyager, which I watched a lot of. They have a doctor who's a hologram, and he's like a oh, Doctor Hologram, yeah, Doctor Hologram, Doctor 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 Holodoc. Um, and there there are questions about this, you know, like. Does this hologram have rights? Does data, how human is data, et cetera. This um, reminded me of those episodes in a very, in a very positive way, in a very positive way. So maybe that like with, with AI, the questions oftentimes revolve around humanity and maybe what Joe is articulating here is not that the answers are necessarily new, but that the way of finding those answers, it's like, I'm not a math boy, but in math, you can solve a problem and get the same answer in a bunch of different ways sometimes. So maybe that's the beauty of this, that it, it's pulling, it's it's coming to a conclusion, which maybe we can see coming. We can see it, but the the, the way that we arrive there, the, the method, the, the order of operations is one that's un, unexpected. I think one of the more interesting things about this story, one of the more interesting questions that it asks is what happens when artificial intelligence is created 
under a capitalist system, right? Like what happens if artificial intelligence is created under the system that we have right now? Who owns artificial intelligence? To what ends does artificial intelligence, is it the means to, et cetera? In this story, like we tend to think of that through our perspective, right? Like what does AI mean for us, you know, when, when this comes out? This story really focuses on what does AI mean under this system for the entities, for like the, the conscious living, breathing entities that we create, right? Like how is that, how does it work for them? And that's really interesting because you say that it's focused on the perspectives of Anna and mm-hmm. D- Derek and, and yep. like the humans. So it's interesting that, that the focus is on the cost to the newly sentient being. But we we filter that through. <laughs> we get the, their voice filtered through the actual yeah, humans. That's interesting. Yeah. That's interesting. That they're not the first person character or something. Say that right, again. Right, like like yeah, if you want to make person. an yeah. argument for pay attention to how this this new newly growing individual feels. It seems like it would make sense to say yeah, we're going to hear their voice. But who cares what they think? They're just robots. Yeah, they're, they're just, just robots. metal Guys, wheels. I don't, I don't think I'm ready to have AI children. This seems <laughs> more stressful than than just a regular child. Right. Um, well, this is, this a, is a little bit awkward because we've been secretly we've been secretly kickstarting um, a new AI kid for you, Nick. And they're due to arrive during the recording of this podcast. Shit. So it's going to be pretty He's awkward right here. Me. Just, Daddy. Just, you know, it is kind of a slug shape at first, but it will develop over the next 65 years. Of you. Yeah. Over the next this? 75 years. Yeah. It takes a while, but I, I feel sure that before you die, you'll feel love in your eyes. <laughs> Eventually. <laughs> Ian, what now? What is the name of your book? My book is called Clara and the Sun. And Clara, Lidheads, just so you have a clear vision in your mind of this, it's spelled K L A R A, not C L A R. It's Clara. Mm, it's kind of like good. a Germany type, type of thing. Yeah, Clara. And S U N or S O N? And the Sun, yes. The Sun, as in the big, shiny yellow thing in the sky. So S O N. No. Yeah, yes. No, S U N. Clara is solar powered. Clara is an artificial oh, friend. God, Clara, <laughs> Clara is solar powered, and she she kind of sort of worships the sun. Well, Perhaps. if I was solar powered, I would worship the sun. Yeah, that makes a lot yeah, of sense. It is my god. Kind of makes sense, and 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 this is one of the the geniuses of this book that you don't think of a robot having a religion or being mm. superstitious, but. Ishiguro makes a pretty clear, easy way for us to understand this robot as as having like a, she she thinks of the son as a person. She talks the the son has he him pronouns. The son has emotions. She ascribes them. She has spiritual experiences with the son. So, um, the relationship with the son is unexpectedly kind of a huge part of this book. It's simultaneously this relationship between Clara and the son one of the most human and least human parts of her because it's it's like to to as we talked about in a previous week to believe is human like humans are built for belief yeah. but but also 
she her her belief is based on like the science, the mechanical fact of if she's out of the sun for too long, she will power down. Oh, I really love this. So like, you know, humans have this religion <clears throat> instinct. You know, we find this religion yeah. in, in every culture in the world. But what you're saying is that Clara has a religion instinct that's based like pretty in pretty good science and pretty good reality. Yep. Yep. Is okay. this just a Superman ripoff? Okay. No, is Clara abs- from the planet Cal L Gripton? No, no, she's not. Yes. No. Um, Clara is an artificial friend. This is a somewhat near future world where <laughs> yeah. um there there are yeah, she's not Superman, got it. No, not Superman. She cannot <laughs> fly, she cannot laser eye people. Uh, Ooh, she can't, can she fly? Can you? Could she with a hardware upgrade? Does she have to eat? Can since she gets all her energy from the sun, does she need she to gets eat her, nutrients? No. Like oil? Nope. No, she, she does not need sun. to eat oil. She does not have a big bowl of oil for dinner. Nom, uh, nom, nom. We need more robot books where the, the, the robot sits down to a nice big plate of oil. <laughs> Has she tried it, though? Okay. What does she uh, look possibly. like? What does she look like? Clara, Clara looks like a human. She is kind of a cyborg. There's a there's an, an implication. We don't get much about sort of the, the, the mechanics of her, but there's an implication that she is human flesh or human like flesh over uh and 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 was it endoskeleton uh, uh metal machine inside joe did your ha- did your robot have any did your Ooh. ai have any physical May, my ai only existed in the um in the cloud right you had to log Got into the cloud him. and then so you log would in. put on a helmet to talk to and me however you, there was another company that sold hardware that oh, you could okay. port your it's ai into so Joe's you could uh, him you him turn him into a sex time. bot well <laughs> it was explicitly not a sex bot but there is um, pretty yeah yeah you're well, obviously you're gonna is. have sex with it for sure <laughs> <laughs> ian you were yeah. talking about by your sex bot no um this the 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 story is written from Clara's perspective. We get to see this whole thing through Clara's eyes. Is it just ones and zeros? It's not just ones and zeros, though. And I'll talk more about this in a, in a bit. Um, she sees the world with a a, a a non-human perceptive mode. So when she is stressed, the world fractures into boxes or, or other shapes. And so she see her 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 eyes, her eyes and her mind perceive the world in kind of this simplifying and shattering way that is really not like as a human, I can't comprehend it. So it's very okay. much like she has her own, her own way of seeing the world. Um, the, her perspective is limited. This is super important. Clara is not like, um, she's not Skynet. She's um, not omnipotent, omnipresent, omniscient. She can't know everything. We know as much as she knows. So as she discovers things about the world, like most of the work in this future world is automated. Um, Artificial friends are a widespread part of society. Um, Humanity hasn't changed that much, but is different in some key ways. People are doing gene editing, and that can have some pretty major impacts on the way that humans grow. Like as she learns this, we learn it too. And that's a super easy kind of natural way for the exposition to happen that it's not like an info dump right at the top we gradually pick this up over the course of the book i think that's the worst part about all sci-fi is having to explain the world right oh it gets it's really stressful when you're thrown into the beginning it's hard to explain the world in a way that is both enough but not too much yeah Mm -hmm. we've talked about this before 
Yeah, absolutely. And then this is one of the things I love about Ishiguro. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll detour into him for a second here. He is a master of this kind of thing. This, the slow reveal control. He doesn't tell us everything. He doesn't need to tell us everything up front. He doles out exposition kind of deliberately. Um, there's a term in this book. Here's an example. There's a term in this book that everyone uses. It's widespread. The term is lifted. We talk about so-and-so is lifted. So-and-so is not lifted. Oh. And you can kind of set like woke. No, not really. You <laughs> can kind of tell there's there's a degree like you understand. OK, this is connected to social hierarchies. Um, you maybe have a, a suspicion, but it's not until like two thirds of the way through that one line explains this. And if you're paying attention, it's an important part of the book. It's an important part of the, the, the character's arc. If you're paying attention, you get it. If you're not paying attention, you you miss it. I, I there this is a really good story and I, I, I want to I want to be careful to avoid spoilers but Josie is sick uh, Josie is in, in poor health so Clara is is a, a robot who is designed to be the friend to a teenager and Josie is the teenager that chooses her and Josie's parents are okay with it and Josie and and Clara become friends um, and it's not just like you know that Josie treats Clara like a kind of like a person, but it gradually becomes revealed that Clara is a potential backup, backup daughter. Oh, sure. Just so in like, case. Just in case. You know. That's awesome. And yeah, Clara really discovers cool. this. Uh, uh, and Josie like a, knows this. Is this kind of like a? Um, can we talk about this, or am I gonna have to cut this out because it's a huge spoiler? We'll find out. Let's let's go. Let's see. <laughs> let's hit it. Is this kind of like a uh, continuation plan for when you die, you get ported into the robot? The word the word that is used the word that is used is continue. Yes. Oh, that's really? Kind of, <laughs> so you that's get kind uploaded. of what we're looking at here. the The relationships are at the core of this story. This is a story about Josie's relation or uh, Clara's relationship with oh, Josie. No. What friend. happens to Josie's? I'm not going to tell you. Oh, because, no. Because, because, because there are like layers to what happens with Josie. They're like with mom, right? Mom is okay with Josie choosing Clara in part because mom has an eye to the future. Yeah. Dad isn't okay with this at first, but eventually he comes around. He has a different perspective on continuation and the future. And what happens where this story goes? It's not just like, does she die or doesn't she die? Mm -hmm. Does Clara end up replacing Josie or not? Like Josie has a boyfriend. How, how does, how does that play out? How do the relationships when you know that you are being kind of prepared potentially to step in, in place of the daughter when the daughter knows, like yeah. there's a lot going on. Right. Um, I, I, it, it, it's, it's a weird book. It's a weird book because this is, this book was written after Ishiguro won the Nobel. He won the Nobel prize in 2017. This book came out four years later. Uh, he's, he's a heavyweight. He's, he is, um, written more than Ted Chang, but he is, uh, just as, as, as well respected. Um, every single one of his books has won major awards. I've got to imagine though, <clears throat> writing a book after you win the Nobel, that's got to feel pretty scary. <laughs> because I mean, you've already won it, so you're not they're not gonna unwin it. Yeah. But you know, what if there's a drop-off? What if there's yeah. a clip? What if the Nobel committee is just like, 
E. Right. <laughs> Retroactively. But you have to be shocked when you win. Do you know what I mean? Like you, you weren't yeah, writing oh, yeah. any of your other things knowing it would win. Mm-hmm. No, no, no. But like, there's no, that, but there's, there's more the, pressure out. Like you've heard of like sophomore slump with albums. It's like, yeah, yeah. It's like the sophomore slump, but it's 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 like the second half of your it's career. It's like it's like basically humanity in the international body of of literary scholars has gotten together and said this person should be enshrined. This is the best mm-hmm. writer this year. This is the person <laughs> this year. Uh, like what if you publish an absolute dud and i remember when this book came out i think there was more criticism of it because he had won the nobel sure people were more critical because now it's by nobel winning author sir kazuo ishiguro it's not just the guy who's won a bunch of booker prizes who's won a booker prize and been nominated a bunch of times not just the guy who's like got multiple knighthoods and stuff no he's he's been enshrined and what if it's bad I'm just blasting out a stinker. You know what I mean? Like, that's what I'm doing. Well, I'm yeah, getting I mean, it you've done, and it. then I'm going to write a good book later. You know? Like, <laughs> just get it out of your way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, blasting out a stinker. <laughs> blasting out a stinker. That's the, that's the Nick Argyris promise. <laughs> that's the Nick Argyris <laughs> Nobel Prize strategy and promise. Welcome to Tiffany's A Safe Place for you to tell me all the terrible things about your book without it being held against you, winky face. Joseph, tell yeah. me something terrible about your book. Too long, you said. No, no I, I never said that. That was your Not interpretation of it. And then just a little loose around the edges. The thing that drove me crazy about this book, there was only one thing that really drove me nuts. Um, in, he, in this book, the Digiants uh, start off as toddlers. And when they are toddlers, they speak kind of toddler speech. Like they, they don't get human speech quite right. One of the ways that Ted Chang tries to keep these AIs, these Digiants, as like reminding you, oh no, these are computers, is even as they mature, even as they age, even as they like get educated and go to school they never figure out human speech. Like they, they oh. talk in like a stilted, not, not a stilted. They talk in like a, Oh, they got like a robo twang. Yeah. They've got like a okay. robo. That's like what you don't like about your book is they talk with a weird accent and there's that's a no, pothole not to you. A, not a weird accent that they do not speak in no. anything resembling proper English, despite being AIs, despite being educated in the system. I think it's totally implausible. I, I think it's totally implausible. <laughs> okay, well, that's not a great plot. Uh, all right, well, Ian, <laughs> Ian, Nick, you have a bias against my book this Ian, week. Is there anybody in your book who you don't like the way they talk? N- no, no, everyone talks fine. I, I guess if there's if there's a, if there's one piece, if there's one thing about this book that I wouldn't love, it's that some plot elements sort of there's a plot element in one plot element in particular that kind of gets just sort of tied up pretty easily. I was hoping for more to be done with that. It's almost like almost like Ishiguro like remembered late in the process. Oh, crap. I've got to do something with that. And then sort of hand waved it away. But Oof. I love this book a lot and I want to teach it. I it okay, was a nope, don't say anything positive. Thank you. Sorry. Sorry. All right. Sorry. Well, you know, I don't know now if it's is it technically AI if it has a physical embodiment like in Ian's book? 100 percent. Yes. yes, it is. Yes. OK, just because uh, it's also a robot doesn't mean it's not AI. Trying to let you win here, Joe. Trying to yeah, let you win. No, I, I think Ian should win. Ian's book sounds awesome. Right. 
Okay, we we had a lot, uh, just a tremendous amount of fun with the whole Chat, chat GPT in, introduction. I thought that was pretty funny. Um, yeah, but what I didn't notice is when I scrolled down to the end is how uh, Joe it recommended your book. <laughs> So today, the winner has been selected by ChatGPT, oh The Lifestyle of Software Objects by Ted Chang. Great. Ian, you lose. I hate this. I don't have a quote, so Ian's going to read one. Uh, Lidheads. Hold on. Oh, wait. Let me get one from ChatGPT. Ian, tell the mm-hmm. Lidheads what to do. It's not going to give you a real quote. ChatGPT, ChatGPT, there is a 0% chance that ChatGPT gives you an accurate quote out of my story. It can't provide a quote. I, I guarantee it, it is says, unable to, or if it, or if you force it to, it will do a bad job. However, I generated a quote inspired by Ted uh, Ted's oh, style and themes. Great. Lidheads, um, I think you should read Clara and the Sun. It was a beautiful book, even if Joe uh, won today, thanks to AI. If you want to support the podcast, you can head on over to our social media on Twitter, Facebook. I'm sorry, on X. Facebook. <laughs> we don't post to that anymore. We don't post on X. Yes. <laughs> nope. Mostly yes. Instagram and, t- and TikTok. Um Eat it, Eli. Uh, you can f- you can follow uh Nick's desperate attempts to go viral there, and you can make his wildest <laughs> dreams come true by helping us go viral. Um uh you could uh like us and uh subscribe us and all that good stuff on podcast players of your choice. You could also consider t- telling a bookish friend about this podcast because that's the best way to grow organic growth. Artificial growth sounds Robotic. like artificial intelligence. And we heard today how artificial intelligence perpetrated an injustice against Sir Kazuo Ishiguro. <laughs> Last most important thing you can do is check out our website. You don't know where you can suggest books for us to read. Happy birthday, Litheads! Happy birthday, Joe, and a special happy birthday to Artificial intelligence. Mm-hmm. All right. This uh, fake quote given by ChatGPT is presumably, what is it? It's in, uh, this is a quote in the style of Ted Chang. <laughs> That's right. Artificial beings, like mirrors, reflect not just our command of science, but our capacity for compassion, our desire to nurture. We shape our tools, and thereafter, our tools shape us. Aggressively mediocre. <laughs> Thank you.